Jesu meine Freude. Ach, wie lang. Ach, lang. Meine That's good enough. Hi, so. <laughs> my name is Stephen Johnston. And my name is Jesse Titus. And you're listening to a very special episode of American Brews and yeah, Tunes. Yeah, um, This is episode number 79. Oh, yeah. Uh, I believe last week was a one-off. It was, you're right. Uh, we did Blink-182's Neighborhoods. And next week, we will return to our regular format. Yep. But this week for episode 79, do we have a treat for you or what? Or what? No, no. The answer is not or what. It's, this is definitely yes. a treat. <laughs> um, we sat down with a wonderful local brewery, yes. the Black Abbey. Yeah. Wow. Um, if you're from Nashville, you probably know and have had many of the Black Abbey's beers. If not, um, get yourself to Nashville and try some. They're called the Black Abbey. Uh, they started out doing Belgian-style beers, but they have yes. branched out into some other stuff. Yep. Uh, we sat down and mo- mainly talked to Carl Meyer. He is yeah. uh, kind of the, the behind this. Well, he's, he's like the, the face. He's the founder. He's, face, he's a founder. Yeah. He used to brew. Um, he's not their, their main brewer right now, so we talked to him for the majority of the time, but... Um, one of their brewers, John, did come into the interview about halfway through and, and kind of gave us some input here and there. Yep. Um, just a heads up, we were interviewing them in the middle of the tap room or off to the side in the tap yeah, room. Yeah, there was like a separate room they called the library. Um, so you can definitely hear some people drinking beers and talking and... Uh, just a little bit of background yeah, noise. We're in a big old room, but uh, we did our best to, to kind of isolate that and, and give you the best sounding audio that we could. Yep. Um... I hope you enjoy, and if you are easily offended by curses, um, this is an unedited episode, so there are some some little curses here and there, so you've been warned. Yep. <laughs> if, if you are offended, don't listen, but... Uh, but either way... Actually, if you are offended, just listen anyways, because yeah, it's, it's really it's interesting. It's worth listening to. Enjoy the episode. Yes, and enjoy Black Abbey. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers! Here's a theme song, you know it's not a mean song. It's a good song, just as it should song, American Brews and Tunes. Shibbity-beeby-dow! All right, we're here at the Black Abbey Brewing Company in Nashville, Tennessee, and we are joined today by Carl Meyer. Hey. And he is the founder of Black Abbey, or yep. are you also so, a brewer? Yeah, uh, so Black Abbey was founded by three homebrewers, mm-hmm. me and Mike and John. Okay. Uh, we met at a homebrew club here in Nashville okay. called the Antioch Sudsuckers. Oh, really? Good name. Ass for short. <laughs> uh, and uh, the, we got pretty competitive with another homebrew club in town called the Music City Brewers. And uh, we're very friendly with those guys, but we're sending beers to competitions all around, just yeah. mostly trying to whoop them. Right. And uh, won a lot of medals and ribbons. And then in 2009, we won a silver medal in the National Humber Competition for a Belgian really? Abbey-style ale and decided that at that point uh, we ought to think about writing a business plan. And yeah. so we incorporated in 2011, mm-hmm. uh, moved into this space in 2013, started brewing in August, beer out the door in September of 2013. That's awesome. But uh, yeah, I, to answer your question, I typically don't brew. Uh-huh. Uh, there are two of us that are active in the business day-to-day. John is our head brewer and one runs the back of the house. And then I handle anything that's customer facing. Okay. Okay. But you, 
so you don't brew regularly, but you, you since you were part of the home brewing club, you've got a pretty healthy knowledge of yeah, of brewing. I, yeah. I would say that uh, I brew on the pilot system with some regularity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so oftentimes, if there's small batch stuff that's on in the tap room. You're, you know, there's probably a one in ten chance it's some cockamamie idea I came up with. Yeah. Uh, like we do an event in February called we call it Girl Scout Cookie Day, okay. uh, where we pair Girl Scout cookies with beer. Mm. And so I'll bring my daughter in, who's now nine. We've done this, I guess, for the last three years, and uh, she was a scout, and so she'll come in and we'll brew together on a pilot system and then we'll pair whatever beer she makes with some kind of cookie. Mm. So, uh, I don't want to imply that I'm on the pilot system all the time, but I, yeah. I do still brew on the pilot system some. Okay. And so so you won that uh, the competition with the Belgian style? Correct. Um, was it the first Belgian style brew that you, you've done? No. When, uh, when we were getting ready to start planning the brewery, we thought, you know, we should... You know, we're in. We're looking for underserved population, right? So we thought, well, we should go to Murfreesboro and brew yellow beer and put it in cans, because there's a college down there, and at the time there weren't any Bruce's pre-May Day, yeah. uh, so there weren't any breweries down there. And then, uh, so when I typically I would run a lot of the pilot beer, and so I'd brew at home at night. And so I'd help put the kids to bed, and then I'd brew. But I can't just brew one thing. I would brew two or three things at once, just mm-hmm. trying to maximize my time yeah. spent. And uh, we'd find that, all right, I'm going to brew this, you know, sort of macro clone American lager. Yeah, perfect for college. Yes. But then on the other things, I'm going to brew stuff that I want to drink. Yeah, yeah. And it, at some point, we kind of stepped back from that and said... Why would we do that? Like, we're making these other beers that are so good and that we really like. We should try to be more, you know, we should try to be authentic. Yeah. And it really sort of changed the direction of where we were going as far as company is concerned. Yeah. Uh, to try to make something that was authentic and interesting to us. Because uh, I think it's a lot easier to, you know, to get people to buy into that. Yeah. You mm-hmm. say, you know, well, this is something that I brew and this is something that I like, uh, rather than... I created this thing to try to make money. You right, I mean? yeah, yeah. I think I, that'll, that that'll come through sense. and show in the, the product and the, the, the business itself. Right. It's going to show. Yeah. And that's where the created, not made idea came from, in a way? Yes, that's, that's always been our approach to making beer is we want to make beers that are unique but still approachable. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I like trying weird stuff as much as anybody else, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we want to make beers that while still are unique, but are, you know, where you could still sit down and drink two or three of them. Yeah. Um, but then, and also, we very much view the brewing process as creating something rather than just viewing this as a manufacturing facility where yeah. we're yeah. making, you know, where we're not, just stamping out. You're beers. not just pumping out product for the sake of pumping it out. Right. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, a couple of years ago, I went toured uh, the Anheuser Busch Brewery in St. Louis. I, oh, really? went up there with the family on fall break or something and uh, I had never been and you know they bring you into this lagering room where they have the big horizontal lagering tanks Yeah. and one of those horizontal lagering tanks held more beer than we made in, in a year oh, Really? and oh there were gosh. like 90 of them in this one building 
man, and that's insane. Fifty of these buildings or some absurd Across number the on the property. Or something. Well, just oh, on that property. property. Oh, wow. property yeah. And they're turning them every X number of weeks, like that's, three, or four that's weeks. That's really crazy. If you and think about their their manufacturing and their distribution yeah. zone. It's it's huge. Oh, it's, it's huge. You have to keep up with it. Yeah. But so you, don't, just, you don't get the attention to the product as much. You don't. Yeah. And, and and I say that not to be derogatory towards Anheuser Busch because I in the in the history of I might even say more than just alcoholic beverage, but maybe in food product, like no one has achieved what they have achieved. Yeah. Where they've got breweries all point. over the world and every one of those breweries the product that comes out of there tastes exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. The pH is the same. Like everything is the same. Like it's a remarkable accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but at that point, you are very much a manufacturer, right? You're yeah, right. Levi, right? You know, your yep. jeans have to look the same, fit the same, yep. stitch the same, you know, yep. just not much in the way of variation at all. Right. So getting back to uh, created, not made, mm-hmm. you have given us some beers to try. Yes. Um, yes. So what do we have in front of us to try first? Uh, so the first beer I brought out is our flagship. It's a Belgian-style blonde ale. It's called the Rose. Uh the Rose is one of the beers that we opened the brewery with, okay. and it's been our leader ever since. Is, is that the one you won the competition with? It's not. Uh, the one we won the competition with, so it was a Belgian Dark Strong, Okay. So, which when we opened in 2013, unless we had a distiller's license, we can only brew right. in the state of Tennessee. That was pre these new laws that yep. have come out in the past two years, or what year? Uh, it changed in January of 17. It changed. Okay, yeah. So for the, gravity reasons, right? Yeah. 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 The uh, so the beer, the beer that is, the one that was based on the metal that we won is the special, which is our Belgian double. Okay. Um, but Rose, so when we opened, we opened with Rose, uh, Champion, which is our pale ale, mm-hmm. Jude, which was an English bitter, and then uh, we had a brown ale that was had a terrible name. Its name was. <laughs> its name was. Cab, but it was spelled K I A B. Okay. And there is absolutely no way you will get me to divulge what that stood for. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't even remember why we brewed it. It was yeah. just one of those things where <laughs> just like, I look back at it now and I was like, why did we do a that? Just a memory that you just kind of want. Like the beer was good. Past and again, it's, it's just one of those authentic, authenticity mm. things where, yeah. you know, we were sitting around drinking one night and thought this name was hilarious. And yeah. Then we're like, whatever, just let's, name it that. Do it. It's fine. Yeah. Just name it that. And, you know, then you start putting it on menus and people come in and they're like, can I have the K-I-A-B or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Like, why, why if I saw that on a, on a board, I, I wouldn't know how to pronounce it. I'd, I'd have to fumble my way through <laughs> yeah. it, I think. Well, the, the second beer that I'll bring you, we are still struggling with that a little bit because the second beer that we'll try is called Tennessee IPA. Mm-hmm. Okay. But the can says T-N-I-P-A. T-N, yeah. And mm-hmm. so people all the time say Tinipa. Tinipa, yeah. But you're just like, dude, it's T-N-I-P-A. Like, <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you say every word, every letter, it's T-N-I-P-A. Like, yeah. Oh, right, of course. T-N-I-P-A or Tennessee um, IPA. So the rose, what, uh, Anyways, notes, so, what notes can we expect and yeah, so, uh, what the grain bill was? We work with Chimay's Yeast. Okay. And so we get a lot of banana and a lot of clove out of that yeast. It comes off uh, the nose pretty, bright, pretty big, well. bright. But people all the time think it's a wheat beer or a hefeweizen. Okay, uh, but yeah, that, yeah. that Chimay yeast throws off a lot of banana. Mm-hmm. Um, Mid palate, it'll be sweet, and then it'll finish nice and dry. So the Chimay yeast really fully attenuates, and so mm-hmm. we'll get a really good, solid dryness, which makes it a very good beer to pair with food. 
Yeah, okay. uh, I think a lot of times your uh, sweet beers tend to overpower uh, whatever it is you're eating. And so the Chimay yeast, I think, leaves a nice mid-palate breadiness and sweetness, but then finishes dry, so you get a little bit of best of both worlds. Nice. Um, but that, it's uh, 5.6 by volume. It's real low IBUs. It's 13, 14 IBUs. Okay. So, really uh, low, but sounds like a drinkable beer. Very drinkable. Yes. Sounds good. Just general ideas to make, again, beer that's repeatable. Yeah, um, right. Because I think, I don't know, this is something that... I don't, I don't want to say it frustrates me, but that I'm flummoxed by in the current beer industry is, like, how do you get people to pull the handle a second time? Right. Which, with with more varieties, more breweries. That seems up. like that's what a lot of breweries do. They're like, oh, our new mango IPA, our right. new. Like anybody can get somebody to pull the handle once. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and there are there are a lot of breweries that are sort of built on that model that you know we're only we're only as good as our next batch. Yeah. And if I you know. You can make anything and sell it once. Um, I think the the real challenge and, and what will ultimately be the sustainability factor for uh, breweries is can you make something that people latch onto and will order again and again? Yeah, we'll buy it yeah, at the yeah. grocery store, we'll buy it at the liquor store, we'll buy it on draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know. Nobody just buys Crest toothpaste, right? You won't find people who are like, you know what, man? I only use Crest. Yeah. Fuck Colgate. I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to use that crap. You know, <laughs> they, no one has that kind of brand loyalty. I think, and specifically, not beer. It's very difficult. Yeah. However, I will say that beer drinkers are the same, whether they're like macro guys or whether they're craft right. guys. Yeah, yeah. Everybody sort of their they'll behaviors in the, in are a, the same in a camp, but then they'll. Yeah, like the, 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 you know, whatever. I guess, like, for a little bit, yeah. I got a buddy of mine who, well, we're distributed across the state through Anheuser Busch distributors. So I mm-hmm. yeah. have a lot of friends throughout the distribution network who are AB guys, and so they drink Ultra or they drink Bud Light. You know, they're that's yeah. part of their organizational culture. And even those guys, if they say, you know what, I only drink Bud Light, but you know what, I'm out at dinner tonight and I'm wearing a sport jacket. I might get an amber bar, yeah. right? Like you bunch, they they will venture out, yeah. and they might buy one or two, but then they're going to swing back to what they normally yeah. do. Yeah. And the craft guys are the same. Like I might go to a bar and order a peach mango habanero sour yeah. with vanilla and you whatever know, else, the, you know, and it, yeah. exactly asteroid Something dust for an occasion, right? Just to, just to try it, yeah. But then I'm. Um, then you always come back to something like the rose. Yes, like and that's sitting down having a beer for the night, yeah. doing something exactly. Like I yeah. very much want to craft beers sure. that you can drink more than one of. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that rose very much fits that bill. And even you know that was our flagship from the jump, and mm. there's still really sort of nothing like it in the Nashville market. Um, yeah, which honestly I think is a big part of the reason why the Nashville brewery scene is so tight, is that we don't overlap a lot with what one another do. Agreed. Uh, And even with with a a bunch more popping up, I feel like it's not a lot of the same stuff. Yeah. I mean, even with the the new market entrance, like, you would think, oh, well, we've got, you know, say, Bearded Iris and Southern Grist that have both opened and are both, like, very popular. And Yeah. But, you know, BI really does the hazy stuff, and Southern Grist has really been doing more of the pastry stouts and... Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, a lot of that kind of stuff. Know, I, I saw something they had the other day that was like 
almonds and lemoncello and it tasted like <laughs> really? cake. I mean, just crazy. There's a little overlap, but no one's stepping on anyone's toes. Yeah, exactly. Everyone, everyone's, you have to differentiate yourself and kind of make what sets you apart. And I, I feel like the rose, from from my experiences, is probably what, what set you guys apart, having the, the Belgian right. style. When I, when I think Nashville, Belgian, my first thought would be the blackout. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I would love to make a Vienna lager and call it, you know, Trace Gatos. But, yeah. you know, like, I'm friends with the guys at Yazoo. <laughs> like, I'm not going to yeah. you know, pee in his lunchbox, you know. Yeah. And that's, yeah. I, I enjoy being friends with those guys. And I think as, um, you know, as long as, um, I don't want to say as long as we stay in our lanes, but I think we have the opportunity in Nashville. Nashville is a collaborative city. I mean, that's what songwriters do. They sit down together and write songs, and they don't view it as some kind of crazy competition. They view it as supporting one another and building a culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And I think the breweries have very much approached our industry that way. I feel like uh, it's a good environment that a lot of cities probably don't have. Agreed. Which would set Nashville. Nashville is just a strange city in general, because it's a major city, but it has a small, small town kind of feel. Agreed. So I yeah, think that, does. that lends itself to that environment. Yeah, mm-hmm. I say that all the time. Nashville is a, like, it's a small town trapped in a big city's body. Yeah, it really yeah. is. It really is. What uh, say we give the uh, the rose a try? Yep. So on on American Brews and Tunes, we like to give it cheers. Okay. We, and, we, uh, we create our own catchphrase. Yeah. <laughs> and it's and very goofy. It's a shibbity beepu down. So, so if you would like to try to remember that. <laughs> and cheers with us. Do I have us. to like scat it like Kevin Cronin? <laughs> I mean, you, you can do you can that if you so desire. But if, for some reason, we came up with it, and we, we every time we, we cheers for the first time, we we, I mean, we go and say it. Okay. So. Shibbity beep boop Oh, I was Yeah. I like that. Add the music to it. The guy does sales for us here in Nashville. He and I have a we have a show, an internet radio show on Acme Radio, which is based down in Acme Feed and Seed downtown. Yeah. And it's called Dad Rock Block. And mm-hmm. so uh, here recently we did a program where I played nothing but songs by REO Speedwagon. <laughs> and I did it a little bit to annoy Isaiah because he has a much more sort of punk rock pedigree than I do. And Isaiah is the uh, one you do the radio show with? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but what really drove him nuts was when I played a song called 157 Riverside Avenue where in the mm-hmm. middle of the song there's a just like five minutes of just vamping. Kevin Cronin telling this ridiculous story where he keeps saying the same words over and over again and finally Isaiah was like what what is this and then in the then he does this sort of back and forth with the guitarist where he he sings and then the guitar plays it and then the guitar plays something and he scats it back and he's like I I can't believe you're making me listen to this I I feel like that's that's how I would because I'm I'm a little bit more of a punk rock kind of guy and I I like the fast to the point but I feel like you would probably appreciate probably appreciate that more yeah the, the old school REO Speedwagon, like the late 60s, early 70s REO Speedwagon, was very like classic rock, Allman Brothers, kind of mm-hmm. almost jam dandy, um, which I really like. Once they yeah. got into that, wheels are turning, uh, I can't fight this feeling anymore. Real like, pop- yeah. yeah, real popular. That's popular. where it kind of got gross. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. But, Anything leading up to uh, High Infidelity, which was heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who. Yep. Which uh, is classic really Ario Speedwagon. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how this got off a of beer on Ario <laughs> It's all right. Um, all right. But having tried this, though, and smelling it, too, you can definitely taste that, Bel- that Belgian kind of spice. 
with a little slight little bit of banana. I see you were talking about when you said yeah. that. And and that's all 100% yeast driven. Like we don't add fruit yeah, to it. That's pretty interesting. There's no yeah. candy sugar. It's all just. I mean, that's a Reinhold's Kabat beer. Uh, yeah. And and I think that that's always what has interested me about the sort of Belgian yeast strains yeah. is that they provide this additional flavor component that it's doesn't so come from wall, anything else. From, from other, yeah. other yeast it's strains. very, very so odd. Theoretically, if you were to take the exact same grain bill for, for the rose mm-hmm. and use a, a different strain of yeast, just a, something a little bit more standard to a, I don't know, a, a lager beer or any, any whatever a more normal yeast strain would be, how different would it taste? Um, Probably quite a bit. It depends. We've done it on a number of occasions. Uh-huh. Um, where, like, especially in the pilot system, where the guys will pull, you know, they'll pull 10 gallons off uh, during knockout and put it into a carboy and drop something else in it, uh, another yeast strain that could sort of change it up. One of those, um, oh, gosh, I'm never going to be able to remember the name of it, uh, but they'll brew it on English yeast, and I get a surprising amount of banana out of the English yeast, which is not really stylistically appropriate. You wouldn't expect that at all. I wouldn't guess that. Uh, And there's really hardly any wheat in rose at all. It's mostly Mm. Pilsner malt. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is a little bit of wheat, but not much. Uh, And so you might think with, you know, the Maillard reaction, you might pick up a little bit of banana anyway, but it was strange uh, to pick it up out of the English yeast. Uh, But we've also run it on lager yeast, and I may be able to produce a sample of that if you would like to try what rose tastes like on lager yeast. I would be very curious. Yeah, that was, I've had plenty of Belgian style beers and I, yeah. I love that, that flavor that you get from the yeast. But it's it's almost hard to believe that, that all that flavor comes from the yeast itself. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to push pause for a second and I'll round it up? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we've got some tasters of the rose made with what, what yeast strain? Munich lager. Munich lager. Munich lager yeast strain. So that's, it's exactly the same. Everything's the same. Styrian doling hops, same malt mill, everything. Yeah. We just fermented it on Munich lager yeast. The well, nose is, the is nose automatically is already different. Yeah, much yeah. different. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, it, it still has a, a bit of a sweet aroma to it. Yep. But I'm not getting any of that banana, just clover, or right. anything. It's a little bit lighter. Yep. It smells lighter. Yeah. If, if I had to drop it into a style box... I'd probably say it was a Hellas. Okay. Because, uh, like, it's too dark to be a Pilsner and too strong, honestly. It's, you know, 5.6. Mm-hmm. It finished. It, that was one thing that was also interesting is that it attenuated just the same. So same ABV as, as huh. Rose. Um, obviously, the IBUs are the same, but uh, it drops that banana and clove out of it. It's still, like, bready and malty, like biscuit yeah. malty. Yeah. Um, and it's still, it's actually, I don't think it finishes in the flavor component quite as dry as rose. I think I get a little more sweetness okay. out of the lager yeast. Well, give it a little try and, uh, and see what we think. Yeah. yeah. When we run it on English yeast, uh, our brewer was standing at the bar, and so I asked him, he calls it Fool's Golding. So if you're ever kicking around and see it on tap in the tap room, Fool's Golding is just rose on English like yeast. I, I see it's a lot. I like that. There's yeah, definitely almost, it is still a really heavy breadiness to it. It does. It's nice. But yep. it, it, it almost feels like, a, it, I don't know if it's my mind playing tricks on me, but it almost feels like it has a, a lighter body than the the rose with the, the, the Chimay yeast. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, 
just the, since the flavor profile has changed up, that's how it I think it, I don't think it's a lighter body, or I think it's just a different feel, different profile, different mouthfeel. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, it's still sweet, it's still smooth, mm-hmm. and it's we nice. we carb rose to two point nine volumes, so it's a little more sparkly. I, I okay, it's technical terms. Uh, you know what I mean? Like it's just a little mm-hmm. more zippy, so it's got a little bit a little more. Bit, it feels like it's more carbonated. Yeah, and it, like CO two gives you a little bit of carbonic acid, so you maybe get a little bit more sparkly. Is always the word that I yeah. use on that. But you get like a little, more, a little sparkly. more sparkliness yeah. um, than you do out of the lager side. But I, I like um, this. It's also a really good, easy drinking yeah. beer. Yeah, that's. Uh, we had it on tap, but I did an event at Brewhouse South on Friday, and I may or may not have drank seven of them. And, uh, <laughs> I think it would be very easy to drink seven of these. It, yeah, it was frightening, actually. We were, it goes uh, down very easy. All of a sudden, I was like, we need more wings, like, right now. <laughs> <laughs> I did not lay down I know that an appropriate base. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's, that's, that's really nice. I would I like, like this. With, wings would be perfect with this. It was great, actually. Wings, uh, this would yeah. go with... with uh, Anything at a German restaurant, bratwurst, yep. pretzels. Oh like, yeah. Not to lay down like shameless plugs for Brewhouse South, but if you order the Mojo Wings extra crispy, that's money. Good. Yeah, that's going to be really good with that. Mm. Just a little spicy. Is, yeah. 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 Is yeah. But I've, yeah, I've, I've always been curious how much effect that the Belgian yeast has on the flavor, and having tried these two, I mean that, that shows just how bit. much the yeast yeah. puts into the beer. It really makes a big difference. Yeah. And. Rose is about 50% of our total production volume, mm-hmm. and we run two year-round Belgian-style beers. We run the Rose, and we run Special, the Belgian Double. And, like, the Double, or the Special, is a 7.5% beer, so it's the strongest year-round beer that we make. Okay. Um, and it's also, uh, you know, it's a Belgian Double, so it looks dark, but it drinks light. But sometimes I think when people see it, when it comes across the bar, they get scared. Yeah, uh, because it's dark in color, and I think that that, uh, I mean, it has placements where it is there all the time and never goes away, but it doesn't have the near the production pull that that Rose does. Yeah, yeah. So, getting back to your name, the Black Abbey Brewing Company. Yes. Uh, we read online that it was from Luther. Correct. Or had something to do with Luther. Yes. It was a combination of the was it the Black Cloister? Yeah. So when when Luther wrote his ninety five theses, he was a uh, he was a monk, belonged to uh, a monastery called the Black Cloister. Years later, after he had been excommunicated, he was given, or he and his wife Catherine were given a piece of property as a wedding gift that had the Black Cloister on it. So the monks left. Luther and Martin and Catherine moved in. She brewed beer there. She exercised the brewery rights on that property and then effectively financed the Protestant Reformation out of the monastery where Luther started. Oh, that's, that's fairly interesting, yeah. And mm-hmm. in the Middle Ages, and this is, huh. all right, if I had an aluminum foil hat, this is where I would put it on. <laughs> okay. okay. So in the Middle Ages, the brewers weren't making what we would think of as real as beer. The, the process was the same, but they didn't have hops. They were using something called gruit, or groot, uh, okay. which is what they would use to bitter or spice the beer. Mm-hmm. Well, the recipe for groot was owned by the Roman church. Oh, okay. So there is oh, absolutely no way in hell that Catherine von Bora 
was buying Gruet from the Roman church no. who had excommunicated and tried to murder her yeah, husband. Yeah, yeah. So she was absolutely making beer with hops. Would, However, for lack of a better term, it would be blasphemy for her to use Gruet. Yes, <laughs> right? So she absolutely would have been using hops. And I think uh, the interesting thing about the... They don't really know what was in the spice blend for Gruet. Okay. Like there was, there's some written reference, but it's not really very clear... Uh, but some of the things that they reference for sure are similar ingredients to what they use to make absinthe, which oh, really are psychotropic. Yeah. And so I believe there's at least a small case to be made that the Roman church in the Middle Ages was engaged in some sort of mind control. Mm. And because you couldn't drink the water because it wasn't safe. Yeah. And so, so everybody drank, drank beer, mm. but the only way you could drink the beer was to have it made with this stuff that the church was selling you that was full of mugwort and... Uh, you know, other psychotropic uh, things. So it's a little that, weird. That's interesting, that, yeah. That's you know, very interesting. And then, you know, Luther breaks from, uh, you oh, know, he breaks oh, from so the church, even, yeah, and Catherine says, well, the thing that make it's making you sick is is the wine you drink. Well, maybe it wasn't the wine he, drank, she, he was drinking. Maybe it was actually the Gruet. And for her to not be able to buy that and then to move on to use hops... Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle church door, door in 1517. 1516 is Rhein that says beer can only be water, oh, yeast, hops, German and hops, right? right? So uh-huh. they didn't know what yeast was, so in 1516 it was just water, hops, and malt. And everybody thinks that that law had something to do with the rise of wheat beers. Mm-hmm. I say bullshit. What that law had to do with was hops, because the they were the brewers were saying, "Stop taxing me, Roman Church. We're not going to buy this mind control crap from you. We're going to use hops. this wicked weed, right? We're going to use hops." <laughs> I t- I've had so much coffee today. Uh, like, we, we, we're not even in the, the thirty minutes down, and we're already into like Roman Catholic mind control. Um, it's like it's pretty deep, but it's fascinating, right? That, that, that is really all of that stuff is happening at the same time, and so we think, you, as my pastor is prone to say, you can neither prove nor disprove uh, this statement. But uh, we think that the kind of beer that Catherine would have been making in the Middle Ages would have been much more similar to a Belgian style Belgian beer style, okay. than what we think of as German beer, because they had they didn't know what yeast was, so mm-hmm. they couldn't have propagated a cultured lager yeast. Yeah. They didn't have any sort of temperature control. Uh, they didn't have the technology to make pale malt, so the malt would have been brown. Uh, the beer probably would have been a little smoky, maybe a little tart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think something very similar to a, a some sort of Abbey-style ale or Saison. Yeah, and that, yeah. That's probably much more accurate yeah, to what probably she would have been Saison, yeah. brewing at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we take Abbey Ale and Black Cloister and fit that together, and that's where okay. our name Black comes Abbey. from. That's pretty cool. Dude. I had no I had no idea that it was going to go towards... Uh, the tinfoil hat, tinfoil hat uh, aspect of it, but I like I'm, that though. I mean, I'm the, definitely a conspiracy theorist. The church had made hands in, in a lot of things, so it's they did. I mean, it's probably not that far right. You didn't think it was going to be a Dan Brown book, right? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. <laughs> so the original Gruet recipe is stored in the Mona Lisa. <laughs> it, it might be. I mean, if you try and get close to the Mona Lisa, they might take you down. That's right. You're going to get tased. Yeah, the Mona Lisa yeah. is boring. <laughs> Have you ever been to Notre no. Dame? I've, I've seen pictures of the room where they, they have it. It's, it's like, a, it's a little they, have, right? they have it on a wall um, that's in like the middle of the room. And then the Mona Lisa is on it. It's very small. Mm-hmm. And there's just a bunch of people looking at it with their phones. 
And it's just like, all right, well, I'm done looking at this. Right. <laughs> I thought it'd be cool to see, but it, it was see, cool. It to sounds see. very underwhelming. It was very kind of like the Liberty yeah. Bell. Oh right, because that's also very small. I don't right? know if you've seen the Liberty Bell in Philadelphia, but it's, well, when you go, you are then surprised that it's broken. Well, it's not not the fact that it's broken. I mean, I, I expected that, but it was just no. small. It was just I imagine this great big bell bell that was yeah. you know, a, a shining beacon of. Have you ever been to Plymouth Rock? I I've heard mm-hmm. of what Plymouth Rock is actually like, and that's it's also very case. underwhelming. Yeah, because there's it's like. You know, they built this structure around it, and you look down in there, and there's this rock, little, little rock. but it's also all covered garbage. <laughs> it's yeah, just, so it's just litter. You know, yeah. it's like really, this is what it's come to. Like McDonald's cheeseburger wrappers all over Plymouth Rock. You oh imagine gosh. a big prestigious rock that's all clear yeah. of uh, human filth, <laughs> right? With but you no. know, the footprints of the yeah. first pilgrims. You know, chiseled. No, no, not at all. They were like, please God, let me off this boat. <laughs> I can't take another moment in this cesspool of a floating <laughs> toilet. Yeah, seriously. Coming back to names, though, how did you settle on the rows? Is there so, any, any significance behind that? Yeah, so uh, when Luther would seal correspondence, uh, he had a uh, his seal, or mm-hmm. his crest that he would use. Um, in, the, in the traditional wax seals? Uh, yeah, and then, but it, it was very... Uh, deliberate in how mm-hmm. it was designed uh, so that it wasn't just wax but it was often illustrated in uh, Luther translated the Bible from Latin into German mm-hmm. uh, and much as monks would do in the Middle Ages it was very you know they, everything was all filigree and gold and illustrated but his crest was very much that way and that it was a, a gold ring around a blue background with a white rose and a red heart and a black cross in the middle. Hmm. And each one of those things had a very specific significance. Um, and very early on in our uh, naming process, we gave consideration to naming all of our flagship beers after a component of that crest. Oh, okay. so be Gold ring, blue field, white rose, black cross, red heart. Yeah. Um, then we realized we were a purple horseshoe away from Lucky Charms. And we're like, this is ridiculous, we can't name beers like this. Um, but the rose, or the white rose, stuck. Was yeah. it originally the white rose? Yeah, we toyed with white rose. My business partner, John, just walked in the room. Hi. Uh, Hi. Uh, we toyed with the white rose in the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then moved away from that. But, yeah, it did. It was just too complicated. And it just, it's like... Rose is just much simple, simpler simple, and simple. easier. Broke it down to the rows. Fair enough, simple. But yeah, so many, not all, but many of our uh, beers are sort of named in that way to have mm. some sort of uh, either historical or uh, uh, theological tieback. Yeah, which was another question I was curious about because it it did seem like there was like the Guy Fox. I mean, uh-huh. that's, that's obvious. Or the Krampus knocked. Mm-hmm. Um, they all seemed uh, to harken back to. Well, those two are, are for figures. Right. Um, one real, one not so much, Most per se. You never know. You never know. Uh, yeah. um, but they are definitely <laughs> European. Yes. Um, is, is that usually where you look for influence? Well, when, when we first started, what we looked at in the, like, what was going on in the brewery world at the time was that there were a lot of breweries that had sort of a 1950s feel in their huh, okay. uh, branding. Mm-hmm. But also, there wasn't a lot of beer that was European influenced. Uh, you know, it was a lot of English influence, maybe. But uh, you know, there were a lot of IPAs and a lot of 
pale ales and yeah and we like those styles and i think do a really good job at making those styles but there wasn't a lot of european influence either in mm-hmm. the liquid or in the branding and so uh you know we're history buffs and uh thought that was really interesting and the luther story sort of tied it all together and that made it very much reflective of who we are i think as people yeah. um again talking about it a brand that's authentic. Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot easier to, to create and sell something that is very personal. Um, Completely agree with that. And and so many of the beer names do have that sort of European influence, mm-hmm. um, but not all of them. Uh, I mean, Tennessee IPA is a good example. That'd be the next beer that we drank. Yeah. Um, you know that beer. Uh, in today's beer landscape, you know, you've got your West Coast IPAs that are yes. real resiny and piney yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and often often pretty aggressively bitter. And then you've got the New England style from the East Coast where it's yeah. hazy and juicy but not super bitter on the back end. Yeah, they cut the bitterness uh, down out of those. And so with the Tennessee IPA, we like to joke that it's the IPA for the flyover states. <laughs> yeah. Where we combine a little bit of both of those things yeah, and do yeah. an unfiltered IPA that has that like peach, pineapple, fruit juice nose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not super bitty, bitter on the back, but does carry a little bit of that cascade pininess. Um, so try to put those two things together. So t- while Tennessee IPA doesn't necessarily fit into the like Martin Luther backstory, it is very descriptive of what that beer is. Yeah. yeah. And kind of where, of where you guys are brewing as well. Right, exactly. Yeah. And wine at a car of your own way. You know, you know, and I and think do something a little bit different. We very purposefully chose a name that wasn't geographically tied uh, when we opened. You know, we didn't say, "Oh, well, we're going to be Sidco Drive Brewing Company." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And that's had positive and negative effects. I think uh, there are still people who walk in this tap room. Here we are, six years later. So where's say, the Black Abbey? I had no here. idea you were in Nashville. You know, and yeah. I, we I think created a name and a brand that can travel. Yeah, uh, but. Tennessee IPA also gives us something that's sort of missing out of our mm. brand package, which is something that very specifically says we are a Tennessee brand and we're proud of it. Yeah, uh, I like that. I like that too. And should we drink it? But before we actually get to drinking that, um, and while we're still on names, yes, um, and geography, uh-huh. do, does the Five Points beer have reference to the Five Points in Nashville? No. Five so, Points in New York? Nope. Five points of Calvinism. Okay, so I was okay, I was yeah. extremely wrong in that one. Yeah, so we uh, we named that after so John Calvin again a Middle Ages theologian. Yeah. Uh, the mnemonic for remembering what the five points of Calvinism is is uh, tulip. So tulip, yes. You know, total depravity, unlimited time, right? So it's mm-hmm. that's how you remember what they are. And so when uh, very early, actually, it was in our business plan that we were going to make an IPA and call it Five Points. Yeah. Uh, named for that, and then we mm-hmm. put a tulip on the label. Right, and so right, right, right. The way that you go through label approval, not to like go off into boring land, but uh, <laughs> you have to file for what they call a cola, and you submit your label design to the Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau mm-hmm. uh, with the federal government or the TTB. Thank there you. are. I guess I would call them media organizations that sort of monitor. That's all public record when a new label is applied for and approved. Mm-hmm. And so they oftentimes will, you know, screen grab that stuff and post it out on their Twitter. And so when the when the five points uh, was approved, somebody posted out, you know, Black Abbey to launch new can five points IPA, and 
within minutes, somebody was like, oh, look, a Calvinist brewery. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I was so mad because I'm like, all these East Nashville people are going to be walking around drinking this Calvinist beer, and they're not going to know. They're going to yes. think it's named after the Five Points That's neighborhood. That's what I always thought. Yeah. And no. Some, somebody figured out very quickly. Yeah. Well, you forget that, you know, Nashville's number one industry is publishing, and most of that is Christian publishing. And yeah, because of While there's a lot of Southern Baptists here, but they're all very well educated in uh, yeah. theologic history. Yeah. And they all knew exactly what that was. That is, that is too yeah. funny. That's so funny. All right, so getting into the uh, the TN IPA, not to be confused with the Tanipa. Tanipa, yeah. Tinipa. Would you like to say what we should be looking for in the taste? I'd, I'm just interested to see what John's face is when he sees your oh your toast. <laughs> oh yeah. Should we just tell him or just go with it? I think it's just go, go with for it. it. All right. I like to be surprised. She bada bing bada boom. Perfect. But for me, it's not an aggressively sweet beer. It gets bright and peachy and pineappley in the nose and in the palate. And then it's uh, it's a little sparkly, yeah. And then finishes real clean and like with a uh, fruit character uh, left behind rather than hot bitterness. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the the sweet aspect, and especially after having had the rose mm-hmm. before, yeah. this, this compared to that is not sweet at all. But right. I, I mean, you do get that uh, the, the peachiness and a little bit of that yeah. fruitiness. It it almost tastes like uh, peach skin. Right. Yeah. Kind of how I would describe it. You get, you get a little bit maybe bitterness from the skin too. Yeah. And it's, it's not nice. overly hoppy. No. So it's, uh, that's well, how you're explaining. It's, it's not like the West Coast. It's not a West Coast. It's not aggressive. Right. And that's it's uh, pungent. It's cashmere and Huel Melon mm-hmm. uh, are the primary hop drivers on that, and uh, both of those give that real fruit juice yeah. uh, nose and flavor to it. And I, yeah. I, I do have a, a lingering slight bitterness. Mm-hmm. Not. Not what you expect from like a big IPA, but yeah, just ever so slightly, I've got that little little bitterness lingering on my tongue. It's, yeah, it's nice. It's, nice. That, it's a good bitterness. Is there a little cascade in that? Oh yeah, there's yeah. cascade. There's um, citra mm-hmm. cascade. Um, I believe that there has to be a little bit of bitterness in the back end. I tried to balance that with a lot of the the Ford late hop additions. It, it's, it's a little bit like a mimosa, that peach, that peach fuzz. Yeah, yes, it reminds me like a mimosa, but it's not quite as it's not quite as juicy. Yeah. Um, if you had a really dry champagne, went easy on the on the orange juice, that's what you get. Yeah, I think Which, it's a really good. Comparison. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm really all about the champagne side of it <laughs> because I'm looking for the buzz. <laughs> I, don't care about, I don't really care about the orange juice. Uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people are on the same page with you there. Yeah. Yeah. That's the sign of a I'll good... I'll take the mimosa, uh, skip the orange juice. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> There's a... Uh, have y'all ever eaten at Von Elrod's down in Germantown? Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. They'll serve you a mimosa on Sundays in a liter stein. Really? Oh, my goodness. It's a whole bottle of champagne, and then they just top it off with orange juice. That's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I know where I'm going Sunday. I was yeah. just going to say, I, I've got to, I'm going to have to make some new brunch plans. Jeez. Oh, that is too, that funny. too funny. I, I love that place, but I've never thought to get uh, a it's crazy. from there. Yeah. yeah. That is ridiculous. That is hilarious. All the woo girls are down there drinking them out oh, with straws. Oh, yeah, I know. All the, all the uh, bridal parties. I, uh... So I was telling y'all before this started, I was on a terrestrial radio show yesterday, and uh, they asked about the location of our brewery, and we're not based downtown. We're on 
we have five miles from downtown, but we're nonetheless yeah, not downtown. Just, just south of downtown. And uh, we were talking about uh, specifically Jackalope's tap room and how they're yeah. right in the gulch. And so, you know, they, they've they got a pretty steady, more than, they've got a pretty busy little tap room down there. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that they have to deal with that we don't is the onslaught of bachelorettes. Oh gosh, I know. They actually have a posted sign in their brewery that says "No penis straws allowed." <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, wow. And like that's, that's ridiculous. That's where our city has come. Wow, yeah. I'm, I'm not surprised though, in yeah. all honesty. Yeah. But I'm I'm very grateful to have a uh, space where we don't have to. Have you a don't sign have to that have that. No <laughs> yeah. Straws. Like, I, I think that's for the better. Yeah, for I sure. Agree. It makes for a more uh, neighborhood feel. Less. Less party bar, more cheers feel. Yeah. More cheers and, feel, yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly something to be said for party bars. Lord knows, I. I mean, there's there's a time and place for everything. Right. Yeah. I, mean, I, I I like party bars, but when I'm just going to, to hang out, and have a nice night, that's not where I. Definitely right. not where I want to go. Yeah. I think that's, that's a nice atmosphere for this. Uh, coming back to the TN IPA. Uh, I think it also fits what you were saying when you were talking about the rose, mm-hmm. about it being a nice beer that you could come back to. Right. Um, yeah, it, I agree. And it, was that also in, in your mind when you were... We try very this? hard to make beers that you could sit down and drink multiple of. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the way to make money, I think, or to survive in this business is to have beer where the faucet gets pulled more than once. Yep. Yeah. And that's just... I think that uh, one of the beers that I've been very excited and pleased to be a part of is uh, we have an ongoing partnership with Jameson Irish Whiskey. Okay, yeah. Uh, we're part of one of 20-some-odd breweries in the country that are part of their mm. Drinking Buddies program. Yeah, really so the they, cask mates and the, the flip side of that? Yes, so yeah. they send us barrels. We age beer in the barrels, and then we have parties. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year we did a, a 9% Doppelbach called Substantiator and it was it was a delight to drink it was just a wonderful beer but there if you had two you were, you were in you bad were trouble done. yeah right? it was you were in bad trouble right? yeah. so I think that um, you know <laughs> <laughs> well let's it's it's in good trouble as long as you don't try tolerances let's yeah. maybe let's talk about <laughs> Bell's Nickel <laughs> Bell's that was bad trouble <laughs> so we we did a beer one time we got some barrels from uh, Woodford okay. oh really and uh, okay, cool. it was it was interesting because uh, uh, whatever we'll get into the liquor politics a little bit uh, Diageo bought George Dickel and then they came to try, they came to the Tennessee legislature to try to get the specification of Tennessee whiskey widened. And okay, so yeah. Tennessee whiskey has to be a very specific thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. has to be, you know, charcoal filtered or whatever. And they wanted to widen it, not because they wanted to expand the reach of Dickel, but because they wanted to cripple Jack Daniel. Jeez. And oh, so uh, many of the Brown Foreman people came in to lobby the state legislature that this was a bad idea. It was in their, obviously, Jack Daniel best interest to protect their brand. Yeah. And somehow one of those guys ended up here on a afternoon with somebody that I knew, and we were touring him around the back of the building, and he was like, oh, well, you know, I was Woodford as part of the Brown Foreman family. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I could probably get you some barrels. 
like, here's my card. We'd yeah. love to get you some barrels. And he yeah. gave me his card, and I emailed him, and how many barrels do you want? I, said, I don't know, this many. And then they showed up. Yeah. And so we're like, what are Shit, we, we going to do? do like, we had, and so, <laughs> uh, so we put a, we brewed a beer and put it in the barrels, and uh, it picked up something. It had some kind of wild yeast involved in it. Yeah. And uh, so when we put it in a bright tank and we tasted it, and we're like, well, this isn't really what we intended, but it's pretty good. <laughs> and so uh, so we packaged it, and yeah. uh, it was John's kryptonite. Because, <laughs> man, if he drank one Bell's Nickel, he went straight from, like, sober John to whiskey John. Oh, <laughs> and what was, what was the ABV around whiskey the, John? That was uh, a good time. The the intended ABV was like five and a half percent. Yeah. What came out of those barrels? There's no way of telling. Oh I mean, no. I don't know. But wow. it, honestly, uh, I I don't I think it could have been more than six and change. There's, yeah. There's something that happens with to me for me personally when when beer gets I don't know rhodomyces or soured it, it the, the way it affects me. There's um, something about it. Something about it. Yeah. And so it's like drinking tequila, right? Yeah. So it's like some yeah. people drink tequila and they go and they go crazy. Tequila doesn't bother me. Bell's nickel. Bell's yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he 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 opened up a demon. Yeah. Okay. There, there was a there was one day. A lot of fun. Came, the next morning he came in. He's like, you can't let me drink that anymore. I can't drink that beer anymore. So no, you probably shouldn't drink that beer anymore. That's really funny. Was that was that one of the craziest beers you've ever tried to brew, or was there another one that sticks out? Um, Either in home brewing or with Black Abbey. <laughs> well, home brewing, I, I know exactly what you're laughing at. I'll, I can think of a couple of examples. But uh, the St. Lucie was insane. St. Lucie was crazy. Ben, one of our brewers, wanted to make a 100% wheat beer. 100% wheat. Which wheat turns Smoked into oatmeal. Wheat. Yes, yeah, so it was smoked wheat. So it was a smoked so wheat IPA. Like a, oh, it was a great, because I, I was like, this is a bad idea. We shouldn't do this. He goes, oh, but I've run like three of them on the test batch system. It came out great. I'm like, this isn't going to work, man. No, no, it'll be great. I'm like, all right, well, you can do it, but you're in charge of it. <laughs> and it was a mess. We were supposed to do, oh, we do a double batch of it. And he got the first batch in. And it turned into a giant cement ball in the middle of the mash. Oh, oh my gosh! And no way. It took him. It took him like it took him like six hours just to water the thing oh, to wow. get all the liquid out. And uh, he was like, "Yeah, I think we'll just do 20. Uh, <laughs> that kind of short pretty idea, quick. Then. Yeah, I told you so. I hate to be this guy that says I told you so. Yeah. I told you so. Yeah, too funny. It was a crazy beer. It was a crazy beer. Yeah, it came out as a decent beer. Uh, I brewed a wit beer with Jolly Ranchers one time. I oh, Jolly Ranchers. You threw a bunch of Jolly Ranchers in the... Yeah. With the green apple. Green apple Jolly wow. Ranchers. It was a green beer. Yeah. It was green. <laughs> the, uh, that's when it's nice to have little kids because you're like, all right, I need you to open 700 Jolly Rancher Jolly candies Ranchers. and only eat like three. Yeah. You know, like, and Did the, the flavor come through? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. I, I'd imagine they, didn't, they like probably that? just dissolved in the... In the oh, yeah. They just dropped them in the yep. boil. Was it like that kind of like manufactured weird green yeah, apple the, taste? A little bit, yeah. yeah. But I mean, it was that was why it was so nice to have a wit beer because then you yeah. put a little coriander in there and that wit beer. Oh okay, yeah, such kind of play off of it a little bit. When, when did you brew it? Was like oh, this was homebrew days. Homebrew days. Uh, that, that sounds like that'd be a good St. Patrick's. 
beer. <laughs> yeah, that would, that would, we've toyed with the idea. I don't know how I would get that many green apples. That would be difficult. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, should, I should reach out to Jolly Ranger and be like, that's, you know, can you just send me just, just, the, just send the, the green? Just, just green. Just, yes. yeah. like, or syrup. The syrup. The syrup. Or, that would help. Just dump the syrup in. See that would, that yeah. would give a new definition to green beer. It wouldn't right. be it wouldn't be a light lager with with uh, with dye in it food, yeah, food right. coloring. You'd actually have some some flavor. Ooh, Those are. That isn't sour. I bet you it'd be interesting. Yeah. Ooh. We yeah. really solid. Offering. Those are fun phone calls when people yeah. call in and they're like, "Hey, you guys got any green beer for St. Patrick's Day?" Yeah. Come on, man. <laughs> if you bring your food coloring, then yes. <laughs> yeah. like you got a green. We'll provide the beer. Food you coloring. You, you yeah. Provide the coloring. Yeah. <laughs> So, what are some of your favorite beers? Doesn't have to be a Black Abbey beer, or just in general favorite beers. Um, there's a brewery in California called the Brewery, B R U E R. Yes, mm-hmm. they were My, at Beer Fest, right? No. no, they weren't. Not available here. No. Uh, okay. They make a beer called Saison de Lent that I just love. So really? good. Uh, I really like the sort of French style Saisons. The farmhouse. Style. It's kind of my wheelhouse, so Orval, so good. Yeah. Uh, but that Saison de Land mm. is just righteous. Righteous. Yeah. Just got all those classic farmhouse, yeah. farmhouse yeah. Just, notes to it. Yeah. Horse blanket. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just a great Saison. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know if they make it anymore. I mean, it, I don't know. it used to come in large format bottles, which are gone the way of the Dodo. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really good beer. Hmm. Well, I've, I don't think I've had any from, from the brewery. You should check it out. Yeah. It's good. I've, I've seen their stuff on uh, on posts, but I've never, yeah. never had the chance. But they make great beer. I'll check it out. Yeah, really good beer. I feel like we've covered the beer aspect quite a bit. Yeah. So we should touch upon music. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, you're a big fan of music. Yes. Um, you're able to differentiate REO Speedwagon into its various into segments. Its various various segments. Yeah. I feel like you, you, yeah. you're pretty knowledgeable. How does music affect the role of Black Abbey? Uh, or does it? Or does it, yeah. I think every now and again, for instance, this happened within maybe three weeks ago, I suggested that we have an IPA and call it Operation Mind Crime. <laughs> Uh, after the Queen's Life record of a similar yep. name. Mm-hmm. And John was like, I think you need to back away from the 80s hair metal beer <laughs> reference, beer yeah. name references. Right? Let's try to separate the brewery from our personal it's, musical it's, preferences. It's maybe yeah. too much. So, so, and that's a bit of a stretch. I, had, I, mean, I, I, I was like, what does that even mean? It was, like, <laughs> was like Queen's Reich. I was like, oh. I mean, that, I, I, I love that reference, but it's, it's a little bit it's a little deep. niche. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a deep cut. It's a deep yeah. cut, yeah. Uh, that's hilarious. But I'm, over the lifespan of the brewery, I, would, I mean, it's more than I can count on one hand with beers that are named after songs. Uh, we did a triple called Grand Design uh, mm. that's named for a song of, by Rush called Grand Designs. Yeah. Uh, our Oktoberfest is called Chronicles, which is which Rush's is all, greatest hits album. Very good beer also. Uh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, uh, why I named it. <laughs> no, but it's coincidentally the same. Coincidentally. Air quotes, coincidentally <laughs> yeah. the same. Um, then, uh, um, it's gone from my head. St. Brendan's Way, which was a, a We Heavy that we did uh, back last fall, was named for a song by 
one of my favorite bands, the lowest of the low. For those of you, for those of you listening in Toronto, Canada, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about. I do not know who you're talking about. Uh, the lowest of the low was a band based. There's still a band based in Toronto, Canada. Okay. Uh, they released a record in the early '90s called Shakespeare My Butt. They've <laughs> uh, basically toured on it ever since. Really? Fair enough. Interesting. I mean, uh, they can do that well one album. Why not? Exactly. Uh, and I love them. So we did a beer called St. Brendan's Way. And then uh, I feel like uh, Crossroads, which is our summer ale, mm-hmm. uh, by style, it's a cream ale. Yeah. And so uh, when we were brewing it at home, the working name of it was Your Mother's Mustache. <laughs> <laughs> and that obviously wasn't really going to fly in the, no. uh, the commercial world. I mean, I, I would like to see that in the commercial world, but I, I completely that understand. It sounds like, yeah. uh, what's that brewery from uh, up in Kentucky? Against the Green? Against, against the, the Green, yeah. Against, it, seems like a, it seems like a name that they would have. Man, they make such good beer, but all yeah. their, their <laughs> name labels and stuff are so Other designs are just like, oh gosh, what am I looking at? Um, <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, that was uh, Crossroads. Because a cream ale really sort of sits at the crossroads of lager and ale. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And plus it's a cream ale, and cream was really the one who brought that song Crossroads to the forefront. So right. We've had several beers over time uh, that have had uh, song titles uh, that have influenced their hmm. naming convention. Um, our pale ale was actually called The Champion which was named after a, a buddy of mine was in a band here in town called The Champion and His Burning Flame. Okay. So it was, they, they didn't make it. Uh, very, very small reference that nobody... No one ever <laughs> will get no it. Will they get, they yeah. were an indie rock band, and, and they asked us to brew a beer for their record release party. And so oh, John really? And I brewed it and That's went over cool. there and it at their event. So the band has discontinued, but the beer still flows. Oh, the beer's retired, too. Is like it really? Yeah, is it really? That's my, uh, yeah, it's got a little retirement plaque up there. Oh, oh, 20, oh so it stopped are in done, 2019. Are oh. done brewing it. Yeah, we just... Right. Well, I wouldn't say it's... It's not dead. We didn't have a funeral. It's just retired. It's on vacation yeah. for a while. On vacation. on vacation for a while. It's a nice hiatus. Is, exactly. that just, is that just to make room for different avenues, or...? TNIPA really has sort of okay. stepped into that okay. role. I think pale ales are... Uh, increasingly difficult uh, style to market. Uh, yeah, there, you know, there are quite a few pale ales out there. Yeah, and people right now are... It's almost know, becoming like the lager. Oh. Juicy is selling and bitter is not, and mm-hmm. so I think that, uh, you know, there's a there's a, a definitive market for uh, what TNIPA is, Yeah. yeah. whereas, uh, you know, Champion needed a, needed a breather. Mm-hmm. It's... Yeah. Got it. Um, Back to music. Um, I had been in here maybe a year or two ago for a tour. Yeah. Um, and I'm fairly certain I was on, on your tour. It's possible. Uh, and we stopped about halfway through so you could go flip a record. Yes. Was playing. So we used to play vinyl in here on Saturdays all the time. Yes. And then it got to the point where we were having to stop tours to go flip records. <laughs> but I actually appreciated that. I thought I was, I was, it, I was touched because <clears throat> I, I, I love vinyl. I like it. It just it it became increasingly more complicated. Yeah. Uh, especially for the bar staff because once, you know, let's be honest. After I was two or three tours in, I was half in the bag, and yeah. then I was not really paying attention to what yeah. was going on with the music. And so then the bartenders would have to go back and change the records. And we had a bartender that has some sort of like record player phobia. Oh and no! She didn't really? Touch it. 
and was afraid she was going to break it. <laughs> Which, if she's afraid she's going to break it, she's going to break she's it. She's going to break yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so sure. it just got to the point where it was like, all right, do we do we hire someone whose job it is to turn records, or maybe we should not? <laughs> you know, it does like maybe we should re- not. Record so, flipper. So have you yeah. officially retired records? No, vinyl from no. We Saturdays? still play vinyl in here from time to time, but we don't play vinyl every Saturday okay. like we used to. Okay. Uh, just on special occasions. All right, I'm going to get real conspiratorial. Right. So, I'm I'm going up to my my in-laws over the next couple yeah. of weeks here for the fourth, and my mother-in-law has got one of those old record players with the arm where it'll drop like yeah. multiple platters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That piece of shit is coming back with me. Oh. She doesn't know it. She's never going to notice. But that but is coming back coming in the van, back. man. It is coming back. And when that comes back, see, then what we're going to do is we're going to roll out this little program that I've thought up called Side Tuesday, okay. where we will just play records only side two all night on Tuesday. Only night. side two. And then, because then like we could that. just stack like five or six of them up there on the same thing. You don't have to worry. It's the first I've heard of it. <laughs> And it is freaking brilliant. It's hilarious. <laughs> I think it is right. too. It's hilarious. So I we think, can do side two. I Tuesday, think that works well. Then we're back really and well. spinning records in here, and you we don't have. Flip. You only got to change it once every two hours. So mm-hmm. maybe it's funny. You know, you pull like it. Eight or nine records out at the beginning of the shift. Throw four of them on. It's only side two. Yeah, it's yeah. like thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. <laughs> thirty minutes. Thirty, 30 minutes. Like very clever. Good. Very funny. I like that. Side Tuesday. Look for it at Sitco Drive coming soon. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'll, I'll keep my eye out for that because that sounds awesome. Um, but I remember we were listening to uh, Dark Side of the Moon in particular on that tour. I love Pink Floyd mm-hmm. uh, to to the point where like my wife is scared. Oh geez. There was a period of time when I was in college where I watched The Wall like every day for a month. That's, and uh, The Wall something else. My roommate called my then girlfriend, now wife, and was like, you need to come over to the, to the apartment because Carl shaved his eyebrows off like Bob Geldof, <laughs> which I did not. It was a joke, but it was, it was completely believable. <laughs> but yeah, I love Pink Floyd. Fine. Pink Floyd gets pretty out there the more you dive into their their deeper cuts too yeah we were we were talking on dad rock block the other day about uh bands where they added a member or changed a member it didn't have to be a singer but just a member that radically made the band better Hmm, yeah and neil peart was one of those Hmm. uh when he joined rush uh i i offered up bruce dickinson when he joined iron maiden but like sid barrett and Pink Floyd really brought a strangeness and a creative energy to that band, but they didn't really, like, they weren't really great until they brought in Dave Gilmore. Yes. I mean, David Gilmore really solidified that band into the powerhouse that it is. As far as guitar players go, David Gilmore is, he's very unique. Right. Like the the solos that he he does, it's not like flashy. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't shred. But the but his sound and his tone. It's unmistakably yeah. David Gilmore. Yeah. And uh, he's he's a phenomenal guitar player. If you can if you can have that in the music yeah. industry, that's pretty big. And I think he's got a lot of tact. Tact. I think that's like, a good word. Yeah. I I feel like there's only a handful of like rock guitarists where I would put him in that category yeah 
It's like Clapton, Gilmore. Was, Clapton was the first name I was gonna, gonna and, compare to. Uh, Mark Knopfler and and Eddie Van Halen, mm-hmm. right? And then you know, like I mean, you have like the Edge as well. Everybody knows U two. You like the yes, U2 you would sound never mistake. And, yeah, yeah. But you know, you think about you know the Shred guys like yeah Chris and Mattel Terry or Ingvay Malmsteen or Tony McAlpine and you know those guys and take nothing away from what they do. But when you hear Eddie Van Halen play, you know you it's know Eddie it's Van Eddie Van Halen. Right. Yeah, and exactly. Same is true of Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Same is true of Clapton. Uh, you know, and I think those guys like very difficult to to create a style of playing leads that's indistinguishable. Yeah, that's very unique right. to yep. that one yep. person. Because we we both play guitar, mm-hmm. and I, I learned a solo by playing other people's riffs. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. If I play a guitar solo, it doesn't sound like me. It sounds like someone else, a collection of other people. Right. right. Yeah. So it's it's hard. It's really difficult to set yourself apart that way. Yeah. But yeah. You can really appreciate it when you hear somebody like David Gilmour. I do actually really like the Sid Barrett stuff. Uh, it, some of it's just so peculiar and weird, uh, but he really was a a real talent. Uh, even though it was mostly LSD fueled, <laughs> a, a lot of that area that, too. Uh, that saucer full of secrets book is sitting in right here. It is right there. My little Pink Floyd biography is sitting right in the library where we're taping this oh, yeah. podcast. Saucer uh, full of secrets. The Pink Floyd Odyssey. Yeah. Never read it. You should read it. It's weird. It's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. Hmm. Weird but good. But I mean, they were like. Uh, we need some new material. Put some acid in Sid's tea. <laughs> like, you know, he... Like, yeah. so much of that stuff, the Shine On You, Crazy Diamond, and all of those records that Waters wrote is because of his overwhelming guilt for effectively killing Sid Barrett. Wow, well, yeah. Because that's, so, you know, they were they were buddies, and mm-hmm. he was a lot funnier when he was high, and so they would just <laughs> so dope they, him up. And, wow. Um, but looking forward to the future of Black Abbey. Yeah. Um, as we end, come to the end of this episode, is there anything that we should know about the future of Black Abbey? Goals, Black Abbey, new beers, anything else? In the future. <laughs> I, I mean, I think that the days of creating national brands are pretty well behind us. Yeah, I, I agree, agree with that. I think sure. we really have any aspiration to be uh, uh, a brand that has the kind of reach that somebody like Sierra Nevada or Stone yeah. has. Yeah. Uh, I think that it's very important to... A lot of people would say own your home market, but I don't think that that's really accurate. I think it's more of a, you know, to be a strong operator and participant in your local scene... And I think for for us, that scene incorporates the entire state of Tennessee. It's yeah. not just Nashville, but yeah. you know we're very proud to be a Nashville brand, but also to be a Tennessee brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I wouldn't expect uh, you know to hear an announcement from Black Abbey that we're you know immediately expanding to send beer to Idaho or right. somewhere. Right. Nothing against you, Idaho. Uh, <laughs> Idahoans. You in Idaho. We like, like Idaho. We like the potatoes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, but I think that uh, you know that, that we'll continue to uh, 
you know, focus on our identity as a Tennessee brand. Right. Uh, to come up with creative collaborations, a couple of things that we have on tap right now are a collab. So we did a collab with a brewery in Knoxville called Crafty Bastard, uh, and that is a, uh, we use that Quebec yeast, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but mm -hmm. it's an insane yeast strain, it ferments at like 95 degrees, oh, and throws really? off no phenols, and it was oh, done in three days. Wow. Like grain to glass on that beer was five days. Wow. Nuts. That's pretty crazy. Uh, I've so never heard of that yeast, but that's insane to imagine that. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry for you folks listening at home. We're going to drink that one after the show. <laughs> uh, but uh, Secret History uh, is a, it was a really cool collab. 100% lemon drop hops, so it's really citrusy and fun. Yeah. And then uh, we also brewed a collab with uh, Chris Mason and Hal Gill, uh, who are broadcasters. Hal with the radio, uh, Chris with TV for uh -huh. the Nashville Predators. Oh, okay. Uh, Interesting. Chris is a big, uh, like... He likes sweet beer. He likes heppies, uh, fruit beers, and whatnot. But Hal is a real hop head. He likes yeah. IPAs. And so uh, we made a milkshake IPA. So oh, lactose-infused. Interesting. Uh, sweet and hoppy. All late ward hops, and it's all pineapples and kiwi in the nose. And that, uh, we call it bag chucker. And so uh, Hal and Chris, when they, they travel all over the world with yeah. predators, yeah. and uh, they... they made this joke that their objective is to get off the bus, throw their bag in the hotel room, and get down to the hotel bar as fast as possible. And it became a race. And they a were down there have. drinking one day, and that was like, look at us, bunch of bag chuckers. And then it's a hashtag, and then it's yeah, a website, yeah, 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 and they're yeah, yeah. making shirts. Huh. Um, cool. I like that. They've got a Twitter handle. Like they actually, they made a hilarious video where Hal. I don't know if y'all have ever seen Hal Gill, but he's an enormous man. Like okay, he's, yeah, yeah. he's got to be six seven. He's a yeah. big dude. Mm -hmm. And so he comes around the hall, uh, comes around the corner in the hotel hallway, opens his uh, hotel room door, hurls his bag into the room, and then turns around and Willie Donick, who's the uh, there's a play-by-play -play for Preds TV yeah. is standing there and Hal literally checks him into his room. Like, <laughs> hit him so hard that he dropped his drinks and he flew through the door into his hotel room and I asked him about it when they were they were here the other day and I was like, was that staged? And he's like, well, we were trying to stage it but Willie got a little more than he bargained for. <laughs> like, he got his clock cleaned. <laughs> That's pretty uh, funny. But it, it's turned into this hilarious thing and so yeah. I had Hal on the radio show and was like, when are we going to make a bag chucker beer? And I was like, I don't know, now. No. <laughs> nice. And so we tried to combine what Hal likes and what Chris yeah. likes into this sweet style, hobby. and it really turned out great. I like that. Uh, Milkshake IPA is the uh, perfect combo of both of those then. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's lactose, so it emphasizes the kind of malt foundation of the yep. beer. Uh, it's not really bitter at all, and it's really bright and juicy. And nice. Six and a half percent, so you can drink a couple of them and not die. Maybe people are lactose intolerant out there. Even so they, uh, oh yeah. Well, I personally am, but I still drink any beer that has lactose in it. Well, you still eat cheese. I also and still eat cheese. Cream. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have dairy for ice cream. Oh, fair enough. So that sounds terrible. That's like not. It's not bad. Beer. Yeah. It's not bad. Uh, it's, yeah. Sounds odd. When I think of dairy free ice cream, I just think of sherbet. Sherbet. Hey, sherbet's good. But uh, before we close off, any shameless plugs? Any anything you guys would uh, like? Yes. Black Abbey. 
drink it. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's as shameless as it gets. <laughs> we're uh, we're doing a product release at the brewery on uh, mm-hmm. July thirteenth. It's a Saturday thirteenth. Okay. Uh, it's a uh, barrel aged Belgian dark strong. Okay. Oh. It's called Hope and Faith. Uh, we're releasing it both on draft and in uh, four pack twelve ounce cans. Awesome. And so that'll be Saturday the thirteenth. No limit. So come and buy as much as you want. Uh, but but. Only 66 cases, maybe? Yep. Okay, 66 so cases. Right. I, I yeah. wouldn't be late. Sounds interesting. And by the wow. time we're releasing this episode, this will be next week, so that'll yeah. be it'll this be upcoming in- weekend yep. that yeah. the, the release is happening. Uh, got a really great food truck. He'll be here that day called Southern Spoon. Uh, their food is terrific, so it should be a really fun day. I mean, uh, not much better than, than limited releases in food trucks. Yep. And yeah. then on... Uh, the last Monday of July, which I think is the 28th, 28th or 29th. Mm-hmm. Sounds about uh, right, yeah. The Dad Rock Block is broadcasting live from Metal Monday at Melrose Billiards. And so All right. uh, Melrose Billiards, uh, which is a pool hall on 8th Avenue right below the Sutler, yes. uh, every Monday they do what they call Metal Monday, where they play only metal music, and it's half off Black Abbey beer and $4 Jameson shots. Wow. And so on the last Monday of the month, they do a more uh, focused effort, and uh, oftentimes they give stuff away. And so we're giving away two tickets or four tickets for August Burns Red. Oh, okay. Uh, they're playing nice. at Marathon Music Works uh, early in August, and so okay. we'll give away a couple of tickets to that. And uh, Dad Rock Block will be there broadcasting live, spinning metal vinyl awesome. uh, nice. from 10 to midnight. So. And where can people check out Dad Rock Rock? Uh, if you go to acmeradiolive.com and search Dad Rock Block, uh, all of the episodes are archived okay, there. Awesome. Uh, awesome. And again, that's Isaiah and I who handle the sales for Black Abbey. We have a radio show on the internet, so there might be some swearing, and uh, there's oftentimes <laughs> a, a large amount of drinking. Yeah, okay. All, all good things all allowed on the internet for yep, now. All yep. allowed on the for internet. For now. Hopefully that does not change. I don't think it's going to change. The internet's too big to I regulate. I really hope it doesn't. Yeah, but uh, our the brewery is located at 2952 Sidco Drive, which is on the south side of Nashville, right off the Armory exit of 65. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. short drive if you're staying downtown Nashville. You can get there very quickly. Yep. Yeah. If you our, are visiting, if you live here, definitely come check it out. Yep. Our tap room's open seven days a week, 3.30 to 8 on the weekend, on weekdays. We open at noon on the weekends. So stop by and say hey. Well, thank you guys so much for having us, Carl. And no John, right? Glad to be a part of it. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you so been much. Great. Here's a theme song. You know it's not a mean song. It's a good song, just as it should song. American brews and tunes. Shibbity beep.